0: You know, when you're working the night shift and it's 3 a.m. and it's like, are we drunk (laughs) or delirious? I'm Emily and I'm Hannah, and you're listening to Drunk or Delirious, a night shift podcast. is it going? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hi everyone. <laughs> Welcome
1: to this week's episode of Drunk or Delirious. We are your hosts, Emily and Hannah.
0: Hey guys. Today we have a really special guest, my friend Lauren. She was like my little or gla- grand little or something like that <laughs> <laughs> in college. And I'm not really quite sure if like she corrupted me or I corrupted her, but <laughs> We had a some, mix of the both, a little bit of both, or we just got along, and
2: each other.
0: Um, but yeah, we were yeah close friends in college, and um, she was an OT major, and then she ended up being a nurse, and now she's a travel nurse, too, so um, we're catching up with her today. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. So
2: you. Um,
0: do you want to start with, like, giving a little quick bio of who you are where you're from like whatever you want to tell us
2: uh sure so i'm lauren i grew up in new jersey i um went to college with hannah duquesne in pittsburgh started as an occupational therapy major Um, and then once i went through some college grew up a little bit decided i wanted to be a nurse um, I went through cancer treatment in high school, which is what really like brought me to wanting to do nursing. Um, and then I graduated with my initial degree, went to a second degree program at Duke down in North Carolina, um, worked for about two and a half years in peds oncology, and now I'm a travel nurse. I love it. A little, a awesome. little short summary. Yeah. <laughs> and where are you traveling right now? I am at uh, Johns Hopkins All Children's in St. Pete, Florida.
0: Awesome. Was this your first and only contract?
2: First and only contract. I've extended three times.
1: Got it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But it's yeah. been lovely to be down there with the weather and warmth.
2: Mm-hmm. The weather is perfect. I sat on the beach Christmas Day. I mean, how how can you hate that? <laughs> oh my gosh! That's awesome. awesome. Oh my gosh.
0: Before we hopped on Lauren was just telling us about how expensive rent is down there. And I don't think I really realized that I always thought like, cause I knew pay down in Florida was pretty crappy, but I just didn't realize that like the rent, yeah. uh, they were just so, they're so off. It <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yeah.
2: It's like, yeah And I didn't know before going down how crappy pay was in Florida and mm-hmm. everyone just says how normal that is. Yeah.
1: And I think, well, I don't really know much about Florida, but St. Petersburg, I feel like, isn't that kind of like a nicer area?
2: I don't really know. It is. Yeah. It's super nice. It's right outside of Tampa. Um, I mean, a lot of people choose to move to St. Pete instead of Tampa, Um, but it's just right over the bridge, right on the water. I mean, it's a beautiful, super nice area.
1: Nice. Yeah. That checks out. I mean, Right everywhere is crazy. But yeah, you would think that I mean anywhere that the pay would reflect <laughs> what you need to live there, but um a lot of places are not
0: like that. It's like the only thing is like if you're a travel nurse, I feel like. Um I've always seen contracts down there, like I guess before this surge of pay, and they were always the lowest in the country, um, mm-hmm. at least for NICU. But I think it was kind of like in general too but they were like, it would be like 1300 a week or something. And I was like, I'd love to go to Florida, but that's like really, that's just like,
2: that's hardly rent.
0: Right. <laughs> it's like literally normal pay. Yeah. Like anywhere yeah. else. So yeah, hopefully yeah. you're getting a little bit more than that now, but I've seen like (laughs) contracts that are more lately. And I was like, Oh, maybe I will make my way down there. Maybe next winter.
2: (laughs) I mean, that's definitely nice. Definitely going in the winter because they have cut our pay. My pay has been cut twice now.
0: So.
1: Oh my God. I, yeah, I literally got an email last or like yesterday afternoon. I think I didn't look at it till last night, but of, Oh, here's a new contract for you to sign um that reflects the new pay and i was like what the hell is this like my original contract goes through may 14th this is a a new contract starting on may 1st for 2 weeks
2: um cutting my pay i was like that's what mine will be for 2 weeks the second cut will be for the last 2 weeks of my contract and i wasn't going to sign it but i didn't have another job lined up i couldn't get another contract in time I was like, I guess I'll just do it. But I mean, the hourly rate I'll get with the new contract is like the same I made at a staff job.
0: It's so stupid. I feel like they oh, put you tough. in a box like you have no choice because they're like, either you're going to quit or whatever. But like you said, you may not have another job lined up. So then you kind of feel like you are forced into the situation. Yeah. So, I don't I, know. That's
1: really annoying. I mean, they, I just got three new job postings for Denver for NICU today and I'm like cool I could go to any of those other jobs that are going to pay me more yeah and I yeah. One, then you should them, I know I might just apply to it one of them is in uh is Denver Health which is literally 10 minutes from my house I'm driving <laughs> like 45 minutes each way to get to this hospital
0: oh. poor, poor thing I didn't realize it was that far
1: oh yeah It well, it's thirty minutes without traffic, and it's I drive there at six p.m. So there's always traffic,
0: Um,
1: and there's a day shift one.
0: Oh, Oh. would you be able to do that with the other? No,
1: to go like part time There's no way. Um, but like, it's a freaking
0: I don't know. I'm pissed. Annoying. All right. Well, we went off on a little tangent, but do you want to do that icebreaker <laughs> yes um like nurses okay <laughs> um, Oh yeah we just kind of last minute came up with this but we thought we'd do a little would you rather with lauren peds edition um since she's an oncology nurse would you rather um have to float to like um I, and emily have and i have no idea like about peds but i mean like a med surge general peds floor and i don't know how many patients do you typically get like six or something is that like oh, a oh lot?
2: god no that would four is our max and i get oh, four, four and i'm still overwhelmed yeah. all right well let's say five then five
0: on like a med surge and like
1: one's like a post-op uh like tna <laughs> yeah
0: like a shit show and like horrible parents or would you rather float to NICU and you you have like i'm think, trying to think of what they would give like a Float. They probably give you like three feeder growers, three or four growers. Yeah, but like you're like bottle feeding and stuff all night
2: or day. Feeding babies is literally my worst nightmare, and I hate <laughs> feeding babies. So five med surge. <laughs> um, terrible. Tea. Failure to thrive babies like come all the time, and it's my worst nightmare. It's so funny. I'm so <laughs> bad at feeding babies. <laughs> It just kind of like tedious when they're not like
0: regular babies like if they're in the I don't know how to teach a baby how to eat
2: yeah that's that should just
0: come I love the ones that just like suck the bottle down but then like I feel like you end up getting the one that takes like 30 minutes to to eat 10 mls and you're just like I understand you're premature but can you get your shit together mm-hmm. <laughs> Thinking of which, I would I was like just listen, re-listening to that po- other podcast
2: you were on, and I like I forgot you were preemie. Yeah, so I've had I've had all the things. On oh, you day, <laughs> I just
0: listened to that yesterday too. Actually, oh, I well. said, yeah, <laughs> it's so good. I'd always like I mean both times I listen to it, I'm like I get tears in my eyes. I'm like I know her. <laughs> I'm just so proud. <laughs> Yeah. oh you're amazing me you guys are hyping me up you no, you are amazing um so can we get into your story do you feel comfortable talking about yes, that absolutely okay. um so uh at what age were you diagnosed and can you kind of like walk us through like um symptoms leading up to it and kind of like what what prompted all of this um in the first place
2: yeah so I was 16 um a junior in high school looking back so i'll kind of start with just the symptoms i initially felt and then like in retrospect and in hindsight i had a lot of other symptoms that i just didn't know were symptoms at the time Mm -hmm. Um, but initially really the only complaint and symptom i really had was neck pain Um, and it was just progressive started in maybe like october ish i was playing sports i played field hockey um went to physical therapy my athletic trainer um Everything was checking out, looked okay. Likely was just like muscular pain from sports. Um, And then my uncle is an emergency room doctor and he saw me at one of the holidays and thought, you know, like I wasn't looking very well. I looked very sick at that time um, and wanted me to go see a friend of his who was a spinal specialist. And they got me in um, because my only symptom was neck pain. So he saw me and he thought he knew what it was. They sent me for an MRI and the MRI showed, um, a almost complete collapse of my C three vertebrae. Um, so it was like a smaller outside of Philadelphia hospital. They sent me straight to Philly. They did full body MRIs at that time. And it showed multiple tumors on my spine and then some tumors elsewhere. So, um, I actually was at Um, one hospital, Jefferson hospital in Philadelphia first. And then when they kind of looked at what was going on and saw my age, they sent me over to the children's hospital in Philadelphia and they were initially had no idea what it was. Um, they did surgery to fix my spine. Um, my spinal surgeons, like absolutely incredible. He, everyone was like, too scared to even do surgery because we ha- they had no idea what it was. And they just saw like seven, eight tumors in a relatively healthy 16 year old. Um, but he decided, you know, we can't like leave her neck like this. And they did testing for about two weeks on the piece of bone that they removed and everything was negative. They, at one point, almost even, they never fully ruled out cancer because of the multiple tumors, but we're looking at autoimmune disorders, these like super rare conditions because all of like the obvious cancer tests were coming back negative. Um, so they even sent me home from the hospital. I was like cleared from neurosurgery and they're like, we aren't doing anything with you here. I guess you can go home while we like do more testing. And then I was home for a couple of days and then, um, they brought me back in for a biopsy. I had a spot on my liver and they biopsied that, and that came um, back almost immediately with non Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh my gosh.
0: That's so scary. And, I go ahead. Sorry.
2: Yeah. Just saying in retrospect, the other symptoms I had, I had probably like a 15 to 20 pound weight loss mm-hmm. um, and night sweats. So, like <laughs> your two biggest non Hodgkin's symptoms, but I mean, at the time I was 16, I didn't realize I was losing that much weight. And I didn't know what night sweats were until, you know, someone told me and they're like, yep, that's, that's a symptom. Oh
0: my gosh.
2: Wow. It's crazy to go from like
0: regular life as a 16 year old and then go have all these crazy surgeries and, um, Mm -hmm. pretty shocking news.
2: I remember, um, at it was at Jefferson Hospital and I think they told me after the initial MRI I think they told me that like something was wrong with my neck they must have told me my neck was broken because I got put into like a collar you know ambulance transport backboard like everything um, but I didn't like fully I think comprehend like what was going on or really understood what was going on mm-hmm. and at Jefferson Hospital they I was on like flat on a gurney, probably in like a trauma room somewhere and um, heard they must have done like further MRIs at that point. And the, one of the doctors took my parents out into the hall and like my uncle was out there too, who's the doctor. And I heard them say the door wasn't fully closed. So I heard the doctor say like tumors and cancer. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I remember thinking like, well, they can't be talking about me. Like I can't have cancer. Like I don't have like tumors means cancer. Like that can't be me. Um, and no one ever came into my room and told me what they were talking about. Um, Cause they weren't sure shortly after that's when they shipped me over to the children's hospital. But I remember think like at that time I was thinking, well, like I'm 16, like that can't be me. Like I, they wouldn't let me stand up from the MRI machine. I was like, I walked in here by myself. Like, yeah. what do you mean? You're not going to let me walk right now whoa
1: (laughs) that's wild and it's like so the with your neck was it the tumor like
2: compressing your vertebra like that that's why it was my understanding of it at this point was that like the tumor was on the bone and like eroded the bone okay so at that point like they always said like the bone was too dead to get any results from it and that's why the tests were coming back with nothing oh wow so I think the like tumor was all in the bone and the bone had collapsed wow oh
0: yeah I feel like 16 is an interesting age because you're like you are still a child to some extent and like you have that like in a way like like you said, like this could never happen to me, mm-hmm. uh, kind of naive in some ways, like child, childlike, but then at the same time, like you're, you are able to like understand and like grasp the situation. Um, so did, how did you feel like, did, did your, um, opinion on it like change over time or like, what was the, um, understanding and like grieving process of everything like for you?
2: <laughs> this is actually kind of a funny story. So, <laughs> All credit goes to finally being transferred to CHOP in the children's hospital. I had initially, so after that doctor like said things in the hall, when I had transitioned to CHOP and recovered from surgery, I told the doctors um, who there were two, they were fellows at the time who kind of were like running all the testing. And I said to them, you know, you are taking care of me. I'm 16, like whatever you have to say about what's being done you're gonna say it to me like no more taking my parents into the hall you're it's all being done to me you're gonna say it all to me and they like a thousand percent listened I was involved in every single conversation and when they finally diagnosed me I remember sitting um so after the biopsy I think I got a fever in the procedure or something so I had to be admitted And they came in that evening and I knew that they had news because my doctor walked in and what at the time I called real people clothes, Like he wasn't in scrubs. (laughs) I knew it was his day off. I hadn't seen him all day. So I knew in my head, I'm like, you guys found something because you're, you came in on your day off. And they told me, they came in and said, you know, your test came back. You have um, lymphoma. And I was in shock. I like started crying at that moment. And um I actually don't even think I cried then I was just kind of in shock and they were like you know we'll let you um sit with it we'll be back in a few minutes and we're going to bring in um like the oncologist and so right before they came in my dinner was served my like dinner came up to my room I was starving and they left and I turned to my dad I said okay let's let's, let's eat dinner let's go and <laughs> So we started eating dinner. I had fajitas, and remember they were really good. I really wanted to eat them. And a couple minutes later, they held their promise. The two fellows that diagnosed me and who became my primary oncologist came in, and they were like, "Oh, you're eating." And I was like, "Yeah, I was hungry." <laughs> I'm hungry. Um, oh my god. And <laughs> the moment it really set in was when the my oncologist, Dr. Wrangold um she made me repeat back that like i had cancer and that was the real moment it set in and that's when like it hit me and i cried i think for the first time and immediately she was like no no this is good this is good news like yes i have cancer but we know how we're going to treat you we know what we can do and um that set the tone for the next 12 months of treatment i went through so all credit goes to her. They gave me so much control as much control as you can get in going through cancer treatment, but they gave me so much control and truly listened to what I wanted and what my goals were.
0: Yeah. It's such a simple thing. Um, but it's a, it's a great piece of advice for like us as healthcare workers. Um, sometimes it's the simplest thing that like sticks in someone's mind forever. Um, Mm -hmm and, and just like giving you control over it, um, rather than like viewing it as like a death sentence or something like that, which Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, myself included, like I, if something bad happens to someone I love or myself, I immediately go to worst possible case scenario. And unfortunately, like lately I've been like very pessimistic, which I don't want to be that way. Um, but I think that's like, that's so great because some, like I listened to you say on, um, the other podcast too, like I, you know, a lot of the time it's, um, if you're optimistic and like still living your life and like doing those little things that make you feel like a person still, I don't know, they can really control the outcome to an extent.
2: And that was my doctor's number one rule. She said it to me, she said it to my family. Life isn't going to stop. You need to keep on living your life. Like you can't put your lives on hold for a year because the rest of the world's still going on around you. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. And I mean, luckily I had a care team and I, i that's how I think treatment should go. Um, but I had a care team who supported that as well. So I remember prom and my birthday were two big things that fell on what were supposed to be treatment days. And I remember like sitting in the office one appointment, like my birthday is in, cause I got treated at first. It was weekly for seven or eight weeks and then every three weeks so I think in one I was like you know my birthday is in three weeks um and I was turning 17 so I was supposed to take my driver's test and I remember like being kind of nervous but like telling her I was like you know my driver's test is supposed to be you know three Fridays from now I did them all on Fridays and she was like okay so we'll see you on Monday that week like they were just so like they scheduled my treatment so it was perfectly lined in like within the prom would be like right when I was feeling good after treatments again. Um, we wanted to go on a family vacation and they pushed it back. Like, I mean, they wouldn't push things back a month but if it was a week or a couple of days, they're like, all right, you can see this doctor in clinic that they were like, you know, graduation all those things that fell in it. They wanted me to be able to go do and do. They knew that it was important for me to feel good in those times and celebrate those times, than like being stuck in the hospital. Yeah,
1: yeah. Wow, it sounds like you had the best experience possible in like a terrible situation.
2: Oh, I'm extremely blessed and lucky. I, it's like the stars aligned and I got the best case scenario in every single way. <sighs> um, it's really like it.
0: I'm curious about, um, what your experience was like, um, outside of the hospital, outside of treatment, like in your everyday life at school and with friends, um, what was that like for you and did people treat you differently? Um, and what was it like, like with losing your hair and all those things?
2: Losing and I say it to patients I've taken care of before losing your hair is by far the hardest step of the process I think beyond like starting treatment like you're ready to start treatment you're ready like okay let's kick cancer's ass like let's start treatment once you lose your hair like that's when it all sets in um but losing your hair is really effing annoying (laughs) <laughs> um, I remember I wanted to hold on to the very last second to shave my head. I was like, you know, maybe I'll be that lucky one that like doesn't lose their hair. Um, and so I held on and it falls out and it's really itchy. So I remember walking to my parents room and was like, it needs to go right now. And the next day we got the clippers out. My uncle came over and we shaved my head. Going to school, I was like terrified. My two best friends Walked into school with me that day, um, and they were super, super supportive of everything. Um, I at the time don't remember a ton. Like people were treating me a little differently at school, but um, I had like a really supportive community at that time. Like my entire school was really supportive. If anything, people went and said things to my mom more than they ever said things to me. Uh, my mom's told me in the past that people kind of went to her and were more upset. Cause I never wore a wig. I always went bald. Um, and they were like, Oh, well, you know, she looks sick now. I was like, well, I, I am. And I don't want to, but luckily no one ever said anything to my face. One time a contractor asked me what I did to get cancer. But, um, that was just kind of the point. Who asked you that? Um, a contractor we had doing something at the house. Oh, and he asked me, but in general the school, if anything, it was like once I was done treatment, like going into the second half of my senior year when I was done, I was still viewed as like that sick girl. I feel like um so it was really nice. Like going to college was a huge change for me because no one knew me, no one knew my story at that point. I mean, I told some people, but going to college, just looking at me like you would never know. And so Mm -hmm. that was a really great change to feel like I wasn't that sick girl anymore.
0: Yeah. It's like a fresh start Mm -hmm. and we had fun.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a little too much fun sometimes. (laughs) Well,
0: yeah, I just, I remember meeting you and like, I was aware, I think maybe, I don't know if you ever told me or if like just from creeping on your Instagram or whatever, but like, I was aware, but I always just felt like I didn't know how to ask you about it and everything. Um, And I feel like, I don't know, that's, like, a problem with a lot of, like, just culture and society. Like, I'd never want to, like, upset people by asking the wrong questions. Um, So I'm glad, you know, we're able to, like, chat about it even now. But
2: um, that's what's sad is that people are so scared. And I understand the fear of, like, asking. Because some people, I mean, you don't know the history behind it. You don't know how that person feels about it, I'm super open about every part of my story because the only other thing that happened in high school, she was one of my friends at the time. She, when I was first diagnosed, she was going around and telling half the school that I was dying. Oh, and oh. I remember being super mad. I was like, I'm not dying. Like, I'm going to be completely fine.
0: Yeah.
2: And so kind of ever since that always set the stage, I was like, I'd rather you just ask me straight up than mm-hmm. come up with these rumors and not know like I will share any like any detail you want to know because most people don't know most people hear cancer and they think that you're going to die like especially at that age in high school like you only associate it with your grandparents um Mm -hmm. and so there's so much to learn and so much to know that you get asked a million questions and I was always so welcome to everything because getting chemo doesn't hurt. A lot of people think it hurts. Like there are just things that you would never know. And I'd rather like, because crazy rumors were spread. I was like, just ask me and like, doesn't need to be this weird thing. Right. Yeah. And I think I'm like, I'm learning that with age um,
0: and just like experience, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, I think it's really important to ask you know appropriate questions. Not what did you do to get cancer? <laughs> set uh, the
2: record you cannot do anything to catch cancer me and my sister did google it one time (laughs) "Hmm, maybe it was something i did (laughs) all those all those cheetos i ate as a kid yeah (laughs) well yeah i mean (laughs) to an extent like
0: we're exposed to a lot of carcinogens in life but it's not oh my gosh (laughs) yeah um do you have any questions em I don't mean oh, to like take over
1: oh no you're good I'm just listening it's like <laughs> an incredible story um I think I think you talked a little bit in the podcast too about switching from being like an OT major to a nursing major and I just wanted to know more about that and um I think that's probably something our listeners would be definitely interested in hearing your transition to. yeah
2: um. So I always knew, like, I wanted to go into healthcare in some way. Like, nursing was always an idea. And then once going through treatment, I was like, I don't want to step foot in a hospital again. Um, I the smell made me nauseous, everything like that. And there were there are two specific instances that really just like stood out to nursing for me. Um, the first one always makes me tear up, but um. When I was finally switched to CHOP, the children's hospital, I was, again, like still stuck on my back at this point, like I hadn't moved from my back for probably like 21 hours. And um, the entire time at Jefferson, doctor after doctor was coming in and doing these neuro assessments on me because everyone was shocked I wasn't paralyzed. And I got to the point I'd lay there and be like, nope, not paralyzed. And not what? a single, <laughs> yeah, I can feel that I can move my feet. Um, not a single person introduced themselves to me. Um, I mean, <sighs> I'm assuming their residents just cause I know how hospitals work now came in with backpacks and their winter coats still on. And so at CHOP, um, I don't know if I went to like a trauma bay or straight to the ICU, but you know they're hooking you up to a ton of things. They were getting ready to put me in like halo traction And I looked at my mom saying, I'm really scared. Like, I I don't know who's touching me. I don't know what they're doing. And immediately everyone stopped. The two nurses leaned over my head, introduced themselves, like said some fun lines. They're like, I'm Emily. I like long walks on the beach. I drink wine after work, like (laughs) introduced themselves and made themselves a person. And it was the biggest thing that anyone could do at that time, because I was instantly calmed down and was like, okay, I know what's going on. And they said what they were doing. And I was like, I know what's going on and I know who's touching me. Yeah. Um I mean at that point like my clothes had been cut off. I was in a gown, like, and it was just, you know, the nurse they were nurses and they took that time and just it made the biggest difference to me. Um and just hearing me as a person saying like I'm scared. Um, so that and then I had another nurse who um, she, it was the day before I was starting chemo and she looked at me and she's like, you're going to be okay. Um, I, I know what you're going through. I know how you're feeling. And she pulled up her leg and she had a prosthetic leg and she shared that she had um, been through, she had an osteosarcoma when she was around my age and was there working as a nurse. And I never would have known. Um And that kind of showed to me, like, there's life after this. And so that was the things I could recognize as a nurse that truly in the darkest moments, you can be like a bright spot for a person, a family, whoever the patient, the family, whoever it may be. Um, And that's what I really wanted to do. Now, not saying in occupational therapy, you can't be that person. You absolutely can, but that's what brought me to nursing rather than occupational therapy. Wow.
0: And it just makes sense for you. I mean,
2: yeah, <laughs> I couldn't it, imagine you know, doing anything else. at this. I'm point. so glad
0: that you decided to do that. You would have been a great OT too. Um, of course, but now I just think that I, that's one of my favorite things about nursing too. It's like, yeah, I enjoy it. Cause I, I think when I first went into nursing, I didn't have a personal story or anything like that. I just, kind of was like, well, I like science and I like math. So and I like healthcare and helping people is very like surface level mm-hmm. basic. Literally me. <laughs> yeah. Just was like, oh yeah, I'll always have a job, whatever. Um, but now with years of experience, I'm like, that is my absolute favorite part is connecting with whether it's the parents mm-hmm. or the families and being like just keeping in touch with them and feeling like I need a difference in their lives. And Um, it's really, it's really special. And,
2: and the, the smallest actions can be the biggest difference to someone that we may not even realize. Like, I mean, I've had like families thank me for certain things. I'm like, you know, my head, I'm like, I just got you a cup of water. But in that moment, that was the biggest thing to the family that like the smallest actions and the smallest things like those two nurses just introducing themselves and leaning their head over my face. So I could see them the right. smallest action you can do, but made, I mean, it's almost nine years later. And that's what it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys, I had a little technical difficulty. <laughs> there. Please continue Lauren. We're on the free version of zoom guys. So <laughs> um, just at the nine years later, I still remember some of the smallest details and that you don't realize just what some simple kindness can, how far it can go. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's huge. 100%. That's really, really cool. Um, to hear. Yeah. Like getting someone water, like you don't realize that that makes an impact in their day or just like, I can't remember anything specific, but yeah. Like, Oh, we need, I mean, parents need bottles all the time, you know, in the NICU and they're like, can I have more bottles or can I have this? And I like, I always go and get them like a bag full of stuff. And they're like, Oh my God, thank you so much. And I'm like, Yeah. Like you could literally can have as many as you want. We have less supply, but like to us, it's nothing. And to them, it's Mm -hmm. like everything
0: making them feel
1: heard heard and normal. And yeah.
0: And like a part of their kid's care too. Um, I always try to involve parents in like whatever little ways that I can or like, and I, I'm like, you got, I mean, both of you know me and you know how I am with like animals and stuff like I do the voice (laughs) and like I like I'm really weird with my babies too but I don't know I I think that parents appreciate me (laughs) because I like I'm like talking I talk to the babies and I talk and I like include and make it like interactive instead of me just like going through the motions of like okay I'm just gonna like get the care over with and then leave and then go chart like I try to like say their names and like make everyone feel like
2: well I think that just like that's the smallest thing like talking to I mean they're a baby like you know there are so many ideas of how much a baby can take in and process but like it shows to those families then that you're seeing their child as their as a child as Mm -hmm. someone and like you're not just going through the steps to get it done and not talking to them because maybe they're sedated who knows they don't know if they can hear you like you're treating them like they can hear you and they can hear you and they take all that information. in. I think it just, that goes the longest way to families.
0: Yeah. And you having that firsthand experience, I mean, I can't imagine how scary some of those moments were for you, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's really beautiful that your story comes full circle and that you're able to do those little things for your patients. So I can only imagine like you're, I'm sure you're just like a wonderful nurse. So super proud of you
2: thanks I try Aww. I
0: try to do the best
2: I can <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome um I have to run a therapy in five but um where can everybody find you you can plug your Instagram anything like that
2: um my Instagram is l um I post I don't post too much about work but my travels and sometimes I share about work and a little bit more about my story. Um, the podcast that they've referenced is um, actually my a different uncle's podcast. It is difficult conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician. Um, and I share some of the so, um, most of the similar story about um, my journey and how it, I've transitioned into a lot of the things I've learned as being a patient um, now as a nurse.
0: It's so awesome! It's a great episode. It's a really good episode. Thank you. And what's next for you? you I mean, I know you told us earlier, but what's your plan? Um,
2: hopefully, I will be transitioning to uh, um, back to staff. Unfortunately, won't be traveling. I'll miss it. Um, but we'll be trans- transitioning into the pick you, which I'm super excited for.
0: Awesome. Congrats. Yes, that's really,
1: really exciting. And we wish you all the best of luck with that. And I think you're going to be amazing at it.
2: Thank you. Thank you guys so much. It was such an honor to be
0: here today with you guys. You were a great guest. You're welcome back. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> we have so much more to chat about, too. I know. So yeah. We could chat for hours. <laughs> all right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. I feel like we got some good stuff
1: in there. Maybe. This podcast is produced by Emily Richardson and Hannah Quirk. The intro music is by Dan Lemire. Please help us out and rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram at Drunk or send us an email at drunkordelirious at gmail.com.